I'm Laura Zach. And I'm Brittany Ashley. And this is Sick or Sadder World. A podcast where we rewatch episodes of Daria, even across the country, and relate it to our current world. So how are you? I think what you mean to ask is, where's your head at? Oh shit, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a very busy weekend. Just lots of lots of social things. Lots of people hitting milestones in their lives and me being there to bear witness. I went to um a friend's baby shower, a queer couple yesterday, Loren, you know, from Oh football. yes. And uh then hell of a that, player, hell of a player. Hell of a hard worker. Hell, hell of a gal. What a good girl. Uh I only I only see people's value based on what they can bring to my kickball team. Right, right. She really is a good, a good one, though. Yeah, she's good. Um, and tonight I'm choosing between going on a haunted hayride or doing a two-hour sensory deprivation tank or neither. <laughs> <laughs> if only they could be combined. I know. Honestly, I feel like there are elements that are not so different in the two of those things. Um, another big thing that happened since you've been here, uh, it, the listeners, just to be clear, Brittany is in Chicago right now. It's true. And I'm in LA. So this is the first time we're using this sort of remote feature on bumpers. So far, it seems to be going great. But uh, I already told Brittany this, but for the sake of the audience, I did have an intense moment this past Friday where I was driving home from work. I have a dog-friendly office right now, so both my dogs are with me. Oh, God. Hearing, it's gonna, hearing it is just going to give me chills. I know. I felt like you weren't as uh, disturbed by it as I know you actually would be in your soul over text. Like, yeah. I, feel like I feel like you immediately did the thing where you you like made it not a big deal to handle the emotions of what you would feel. Exactly. Yeah. So basically I lived through um, a, dog, a dog owner's nightmare, which is I was driving home during rush hour traffic. Anyone who lives in LA know that carries its own special weight. And I, I was driving through Silver Lake on Sunset Boulevard And I wasn't, when I recall where I actually was oriented on the road, I wasn't even in the far right lane. I was fully in the center of the road. And one of my dogs was up with me in the front and then dog Laura was in the backseat and I had the music on and I get to a red light and someone pulls up next to me and starts wildly waving at me. And I'm like, Hey, what's up? And he's like, you have two dogs, right? And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I know. Blessed. I'm such a good mom. (laughs) And then he goes, one of your dogs jumped out the back window four blocks back. (sighs) And sure enough, it was dog Laura. And also the back window wasn't even fully down all the way. Like it was, it, it doesn't even go all the way down. It's one of those ones that kind of like child locks like one third of the way up. So she must have fully like projected herself out of the window, maybe toward a dog or something. And somehow I didn't notice. And also Gus, my other dog, didn't tell me. Because was, in, a, in a weird way, it could be his dream. Right. He's just like, don't worry about it, mom. It's just us. Keep on driving. It's just us now, mommy. 
Yeah. And then I drive back to the intersection, you know, fearing the worst. And there's this couple that has a dog, their own dog on a leash. And the woman is holding dog Laura. And just then my phone starts ringing because they have seen her tag on my, on her collar and are calling me. And when I pull over, they're like, yeah, someone saw her jump out and she was running through traffic on sunset. Yeah. So horrifying. And she was really freaked out. Like, I feel like she got overwhelmed in the moment by being like, I'm going to save you. Or like, I'm going to get that dog. And then was like, what the fuck? Where am I? Like, she just, yeah. She's a thrill seeker. Yeah. And she does have that real, that real taste for freedom that I don't know, you know, if there's ever going to be a solve for that. Like, this might just be the reality of having to give her, you know, a good secure life, but also anticipate the ways she might try to leave me. I just am surrounded by bitches with commitment issues right now. <laughs> Good how stuff. about you? How's the, how's the old stomping ground? Well, yesterday I went to a funeral and a wedding back to back. So wow. that was... Was the funeral first at least? Yes. Mm-hmm. So that was quite the constant reminder of the bleak existence that is mortality it was sad and it was also so yesterday was also supposed to be the high school like my 10-year high school reunion but I didn't go obviously because I went to the wedding but it was like I saw so many people from high school that it basically was just like a high school reunion in of itself but the wedding was really fun uh I did have very odd moment where you know, like when you keep up with people that you went to high school with, like you're not going to get all the details correct, you know, because you just like aren't in their lives anymore and you haven't seen them in like 10 years. And there was this girl mm-hmm. that I had like a bunch of classes with and uh, she introduced me to this guy and I remember that she was married and I was like, oh, this is your husband. And she was like, no, it's not my husband. We got divorced. And I was like, oh, fuck, I'm so sorry. And I just like carried that with me for the rest of the evening. <laughs> But Wait, I also, so was was it the guy that she had been married to? The no, one it, was, to? it was a new boyfriend. Oh, I see. Yeah, but I also didn't say, like, is this your husband? I, I pointed at both of them and said, husbands? Like, are you two husbands? <laughs> so there was just a lot to unpack there. Wow. Um, and then I saw a girl that uh, I also was, like, semi-friends with in high school who she was like, you know what, I was actually thinking about you the other day, and I – I said this really insensitive thing to you once and she told me this thing and I was like, I don't remember that at all. And she's like, I've been carrying the weight of that for like 10 years. Wait, are you not going to tell us what it was? It was something like, and then, then once I started getting drunker, I started to like convince myself that I remembered her saying that, but then I wasn't going to like go back and be like, you know what? I actually kind of do remember it. She said it was something about like, we were talking about college and student loans. And I guess she had said something to the effect of, well, you don't have to worry about that because when your mom died, you got, probably got a lot of life insurance money. Oh, wow. And I don't remember that. I kind of remember something being said, but yeah, but but I guess that she, she held on to that and she was like, I was such an insensitive kid. And I was like, I don't even remember. But yeah, and then I was conspiring to get two of the bridesmaids to sleep with each other because... They were just like really flirting. And then in Kirsten like caught on to their flirtation as well. 
and so did some other people and so we started making bets and <laughs> saying oh my that, god saying that we would venmo each other with whoever won did it happen i don't know i'll have to find out somehow through people that i don't speak to anymore but but it was it was a it was definitely a way to make the the wedding reception way more gay than it really was yeah i'm always looking for those opportunities um i i also that i mean speaking of way more gay that reminds me that this episode is going to come out on national coming out day oh hooray yeah so um happy coming out to all of you who are in the process and congratulations to those who've already done it and um godspeed to those who have to come out every day to someone, which usually is the case for everyone. La 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 This is my style Got to get up Or I might fall Excuse me Excuse me. I've got to be direct. If I'm wrong, please correct. You're standing on the right La 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 la. La 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 la. Well, this is season three, episode four, Daria Dance Party, which sounds amazing, and I would like to throw one. That was my first feeling as well. It was like two things that I love in one title. But it's actually a really inaccurate title because she doesn't dance at all. Yeah, and she actually has nothing to do with the dance other than knowing the people who throw it. Yeah, it's actually quite... It, this hardly centers on Daria at all, to be quite honest. Yeah, it's it's probably, like, of all the episodes we've seen, one of the least centered on Daria. The episode begins where they're all painting still lives, as you do in art class. And Miss Lee interrupts to say that school dance is two weeks away. And then adds something about how there's going to be high security so that nobody could pull a carry. And uh, this brings up some latent PTSD from Brittany because she caught Kevin cheating last dance. Right. And uh, it causes a big fight between them, which, you know, I've been listening to an audiobook about relationships <laughs> and secure attachment and secure avoidance and all of that. The book lays out three relationship styles, the anchor, the island, and the wave. And just a quick assessment of Brittany and Kevin's fight, it feels like they're both waves. I would agree, yeah. Yeah, they're both like anxious. I forget what the full title of the wave is, but is it anxious anxious avoidant or anxious... Basically, the idea of, like, there's no uh, consistent, like, steadiness to them. They're always kind of, like, in and out and dramatic and extreme and and seeking uh, validation from each other in these kind of dramatic ways. So is – oh, interesting. I mean, that's a really uh, 
It's a really tangible way to put it. Yeah, it's a book called uh, Wired for Love. I uh, started reading it because my ex said she was reading it. So that's a healthy choice right there. (laughs) (laughs) But I I really enjoy the human side of Brittany where you're like, it's obvious that she feels like she didn't punish him properly the first time, which I felt like was very relatable. And so I feel like in some way... She, like, stayed with him so that she could, like... It's, like, the long game. Yeah. Revenge. Well, and that's what happens when you don't heal something right after it happens or when you don't allow for, like, a full break to, like, fully heal from something. I feel like even if you're like, okay, now we're back together, there's that festering resentment. And if you haven't addressed it properly right. in the relationship, it's going to emerge in maybe an even more dysfunctional way. Yeah, I feel like those type of grudges are like the gifts that just keep on giving. And they come out in weird places. Um, and at this and obviously dances are Britney's trigger. Which is interesting, too, because they both have cheated on each other from what we can tell like mm-hmm. that are, you know, they've both been caught making out with or otherwise involved with other people so it's just interesting kind of like the things that makes it an issue for them right but they both have this sentiment where they say maybe I should find someone who appreciates me and it feels like they both kind of appreciate each other because they both appreciate the fact that the other one is really into themselves so in some way they are a perfect match and in some way they're both very very unhealthy like I don't even know who Kevin and Kevin or Brittany on their own would be good with elsewhere you know what I mean and except maybe like themselves maybe get to like know yourself a little more right their 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 mutual narcissism is oddly compatible because I don't know that anyone who had a more healthy relationship to their selves in the world would tolerate a partner like that. Right. So in some way you almost have to be ignorant to the fact that the other person is that way to even just like be with them. Right. And and you see that a lot. Like when they're in conflict, they don't really hear each other. Totally. They just, they each kind of like say, I mean, which I guess they're a little bit islands too. I'm just really in the, the terminology of this book right now. And, and the first rule of any sort of effective Ooh, relationships is the creation of the couple bubble, which is put forward in the book as being the relationship, you know, making the relationship more important than either of the individuals, but tied up in the health of the relationship is the ability to, of both partners to have their needs met. Mm-hmm. So it's like, like an us rather than a me, me, me. And that would never work for Kevin and Brittany because they're both very me, me, me. Well, I'm so glad that we could really dive into the psychology behind Brittany and Kevin's relationship. Mm -hmm. It is interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's fitting for a high school relationship, for like an immature relationship where it's very like hot and cold and you can only really prove your love by like tearing it away first and having co- to come back together. And anyway, you'll see what happens later in the episode. But they, they seem to be the type of couple that like really loves makeup sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on the other end, dances are also a trigger for Sandy because the, the fashion club ends up encouraging Quinn essentially to head the dance committee. 
and says that they'll help her, but then completely disappear from it to not be involved in it at all. Yeah, and in Sandy's flashback where you see a younger Sandy trying to organize a dance and like being really feeling the pressure of making everyone happy. And then her mom comes in and says to her, you know, Sandy to volunteer is to say, use me. (laughs) So I think if I'm going to, you know, assess Sandy in this moment, I would say that she's insecure avoidant and that she's so afraid of rejection and of abandonment that she won't even she'll she'll act like she doesn't even want the thing to begin with right she doesn't want to make herself vulnerable to failure damn or to be taken advantage of you know i have a a dance horror story do you have a dance horror story probably somewhere in me but tell tell me yours and might strike something i was dating this guy for two years and it was our senior year and basically the people that got nominated for like homecoming court were couples that have like been together for a while because that's just like how your value was was based on if you were in a relationship or not and so I was with this guy for like two years and we were both like pretty well liked like we were both like funny and and nice to people and so I felt like it was kind of a shoe in but I also truly didn't really care if like we got on homecoming court like it was just like a ooh, this would be fun Mm-hmm. Well, his best friend, this guy Jason, uh, was his best friend for like years and years and years. And when me and Nico started dating, you could tell that like this like really like misogynistic dude was actually very sad that like he was losing his best friend. <laughs> like he, he, the way that he acted out to like not being able to see his friend as much anymore was just like insanely immature, and it was almost always at my expense. And so he knew what my biggest insecurity was, was that before me and Nico were dating is that he was dating this girl who was also, who happened to be a friend of mine, but she was like homecoming queen. She was like America's sweetheart basically. And so Jason knew that my biggest insecurity was that. And so the way to exploit that insecurity was to tell everyone in our senior class to vote for Nico and Danielle to be homecoming king and queen to hurt my feelings, essentially. Whoa, so you were dating him and he made them vote for his ex? Correct. Right. So, so yeah, so he started this, like, whole campaign to get everyone to vote for Nico and Danielle together to be homecoming king and queen and for me to just, like, be really sad about it and ruin my senior year homecoming. I didn't get on homecoming court, but he got on it. But, like, also mine was was very much um, something that Jason started. But I didn't find out until the homecoming game where I was sitting on the bleachers and they announced, like, who the king and queen were. And it wasn't Nico. It was, like, I think it was still Danielle and it was someone else. And uh, someone said, like, yeah, well, I guess against Jason's best efforts. And I, like, heard it. And I was like, what? And then, because I was already still upset that, like, my boyfriend got on it, but I didn't, but it was, it was, it was more of like a stupid, like high school, like, you didn't think it was intentional. I didn't. And then when I found out that it was like a whole fucking thing, I was devastated and felt so embarrassed and humiliated. And I mean, this was still like the beginning of senior year. And then I tried to talk to my boyfriend about it. And he was like, I played such a shitty game because he was a football player. And he like truly, had no concern for my feelings at all. And that was really 
really devastating to me because, you know, I was 18 or 17 and the whole, like, that whole world is your whole world. You can't really see beyond it. But I just, like, really disconnected senior year. I think we went to the homecoming dance for maybe 10 minutes and I was just so upset because I just felt like so many people like it was like a weird it was like a bullying moment you know like you feel like you're the butt of a joke and I'd never had it to that degree before and I just really disconnected senior year and like didn't play softball like I would have I didn't really go out I just was like I fucking can't wait for college and I also just like no longer trusted my boyfriend anymore because I was like oh like there was not even a part of you that could have empathized with how I felt you were just like yeah that's just what happened and it was like a nightmare for me it was like a it was like a a plot in a 90s high school movie and I was really sad damn so I guess we've discovered the root of your misandry misandry (laughs) (laughs) it was so yeah it was mortifying what's uh Nico and Danielle up to now well, Danielle's married and has three kids and lives in Arizona. I actually went to her wedding. And then Nico I haven't talked to in years. And then Jason, I think, is still a piece of shit. So, <laughs> Yeah, that all checks out. Did it inspire any horror stories for you? Not really. I wasn't cool enough to even be involved in, in the, the drama. <laughs> In the running, yeah. I was, I like had to import in a prom date senior year from like another school. Oh, so you meant like from Russia? No, just another school. And he like was on some sort of prescription drug the <laughs> night of prom that caused him to fall asleep on the bus on the way to prom. And oh my when, God. Like, I, when I gently like touched his shoulder to wake him up when we got there, he like, woke up with a jolt with his fist out like he was gonna punch me holy shit and then like what and then realized what he was doing and was like oh my god i'm so sorry uh i can't wait to do the casper slide though (laughs) yeah let's let's go do this but at the time i was already in love with my english teacher so i was just sort of like we can't forget about that storyline i hadn't really spent any time like investing in stupid finding boys yeah yeah I was just like what's the point and I was hoping that the teacher would be there as, as an you know a faculty um chaperone and he wasn't so I just had to deal with what I could get you know <laughs> <laughs> so um, there's a scene where Brittany's talking to the other cheerleaders um basically kind of like making this pact with the teammates to not ask Kev, like to or to not accept going to the dance with Kevin. And also, fun fact, the blonde girl that she's talking to is actually based on Sarah Michelle Geller's face. The uh the 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 drawers, the artist artist <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> the artist would uh base a lot of the like side characters or the people in the background on who was popular at the time. And that girl was actually based on Sarah Michelle Geller's face amazing yeah and that's the uh and then kevin also is is meanwhile doing the same thing with his football um bros he's like no one can ask britney to the dance and so they're each kind of taking steps to isolate the other one Mm -hmm. 
And again, just really, really healthy, healthy dynamic between them. Oh, God. And, and then Quinn is talking to Daria and her parents about the dance committee. And this episode in general, Quinn was like her most vicious. Like, like, I mean, on the one hand, you felt for her because she was made like Sandy is clearly trying to manipulate her in this episode. But actually, Quinn is pretty like she's just she's just full Quinn. Like she in this first moment with her parents, she talks about wanting to keep the des- keep out the undesirables mm-hmm. from the prom. And then when something comes up about Daria going to the prom, Quinn's like, only a loser would go without a date. So, you know, assuming that Daria wouldn't have a date and calling her a loser. And then the fashion club comes over and, like, it becomes clear that Quinn's never introduced the fashion club to her parents. Like, she's embarrassed by them. Um, And then later, Quinn takes two boys to the dance. And she's doing, like, her full polyamory thing and, like, sicking men on each other to fight, you know, over her. And, yeah, she was just – this was – I feel like Quinn was really – the focus of this episode yeah oh she definitely was um and and kevin and britney as a b story right yeah quinn's whole thing was like she i think she wanted to make it basically like her own private party and she didn't really understand that throwing a dance is all about inclusion and making everyone feel welcome because like everyone wants to go but she was just trying to do it her own way and then when she tried to like general contract out the like the the design of it all she didn't like what jane did but then when someone complimented it then she took credit for it and daria made this comment about how like yeah she's gonna take credit for literally everything that we did that's just like what she does and so yeah she was pretty pretty nasty in this in this one yeah and and also we saw um more escalation of her tension with sandy where it became so toxic. Clear. It is such a toxic friendship. It really is. And I I do feel like it could be one of those situations where, you know, like hate isn't the opposite of love and differences. Like they might actually just maybe they should just make out. <laughs> Sandy invites everyone to a party at the same night as the dance on purpose because I think she's trying to test Quinn's commitment that like she's basically trying to make the idea of the dance no longer seem cool to Quinn because you know you know that Quinn is going to want to be where like all the guys are and where she can work on her social status whereas if Sandy eliminates that element from the dance then it's just like some stupid thing that Quinn's going to be doing but then Quinn sees it through and does honor her commitment but in the process it it does leave Sandy uh with these guys who are like we don't want to be here anymore yeah it was interesting I feel like it was a real test of who actually has more social hierarchical clout which is certainly Quinn always yeah I mean I know that's not a mystery but Sandy keeps putting herself in positions like where it seems like she hopes or thinks there's a chance that she'll hold more sway but she never does like when she even dangling, you know, free pizza and hot tub and my parents being out of town, like even that wasn't enough to get more than a handful 
of guys over to her house instead of the dance, which I think in large part too is because Jane took over the like theme and decoration duties of the dance and like designed it after the death of Jackson Pollock Mm -hmm. and it ended up actually being kind of rad. And so in part it was that like if Quinn had just done what she had done, maybe the, the, the um, dance wouldn't have been as popular, but regardless, like it's clear that other than, Stacy and Tiffany, Sandy doesn't really have control over anyone. Right. And she not does... even her own little brothers who lock the the members of the fashion club out when they're out using the hot tub and then they the brothers lock her out of the house. So she she definitely it's a classic case of someone who feels powerless trying to abuse power with other people. Yeah. And it's, it's also a case, I mean, in a similar vein, it's also the case of like, she's a victim of misogyny and sexism, but also is uh, keeping it well and alive in her own relationships with internalized misogyny. Perpetuating it for Mm -hmm. sure. That's the one perpetuating is the word I wanted to say, but (laughs) I'm glad I, I'm glad I could provide you with the word perpetuate. <laughs> Thank you, ma'am. Uh, that's it also is, uh, I think my favorite character might be Robert, the guy with the bolo tie who says, ma'am, after everything. It's, and that's actually a moment where we, we get some Jody and Mac in this episode and Jody actually effectively masterminds a situation where, Brittany doesn't know what to do because no one is asking her to the dance because Kevin has warned all of his football playing friends not to ask her. Mm-hmm. And then Jody's like, oh, you should just ask Robert because he's been out of town this week and doesn't know that any of that has happened. And so he won't know that he can't accept the offer. And so then Brittany brings Robert and he's just seems a little bit like a doofus. Right. But like different type, a different species of doofus than Kevin. Like I actually think he's sort of a good guy. Like he, I feel like he doesn't have the narcissism. He just has the kind of like simple, simple, simplicity to him. But the cool layer to that moment with Jody was that Mac comes back and he's like, what did you say? Like he didn't hear anything that happened. He's like, oh, what is she so happy about? And Jody says, oh, nothing, honey. So in that moment, we as the audience realized that Jody one is capable of doing some like masterminding, and then two that on some level she maybe doesn't want Kevin and Brittany to be together. So she's she's make creating a conflict so that possibly Brittany won't be with Kevin. Who Jody seems to probably Jody probably doesn't like Kevin, right? Yeah, but then again, if she is truly insightful she would she be would aware of the pattern yeah yeah she would recognize the pattern i thought about that too and know that kevin seeing britney with someone else might drive him back to wanting to be with her yeah that would be really taking it a couple steps further but with jody we never really know because she is so intelligent yeah there was also uh, a really good quinn quote that i pulled out that said i don't slow dance till after the fifth date Oh, right. Yeah. So she brought two guys to the dance as her dates and then dances with them simultaneously. And then when it gets to a slow dance, we see that they've kind of sandwiched her Oreo cookie style and she like freaks out and, you know, and it's it's where like this strange seeming contradiction of Quinn 
as this like free love poly chick and Quinn as a prude. Right. Um, I mean, not to use prude in a bad way, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, no, I know what you're saying. And then there's also this moment where the only other really time we see Daria and Jane is they're on the bleachers at the dance and these two twins who kind of look like teenagers who are from a different high school are kind of matching how morbid uh, Daria and Jane are being. And it seems like it could be a match until they realize that they're uh, Upchuck's cousins. Yeah, and Upchuck is DJing the party. Right. And, yeah, they don't realize until, well, they reveal that's true, but then they also do the row yeah, that yeah. Upchuck does, which, honestly, those that type of man that those twins are in this moment is way more real and pervasive than the type of man that Upchuck is. Right. Like, I think Upchuck is such a parody of of a certain type of offensive sexist behavior, but the actual more common version of it is like the kind of like the um like the the pickup artist men's rights style person who is like, oh, you have to connect with them ha- first. Yeah. And like then be mean to a woman and make her feel bad about herself. And then she'll rely on your affirmation. And then, you know, and, and not that that's what these guys were doing. They actually seemed like pretty cool and to have a lot in common with Daria and Jane at first. But that's when it's the most disappointing when it's someone who you see such potential to just be like a kind normal human being then suddenly makes it weird yeah it almost makes you wonder which is worse like someone who's just outwardly that way and so you don't you'll never get disappointed because your standards are just so low already or if it's someone who seems like they would be good until the until that happens until you realize that like they might have like tricked you in some way right or like problematic male feminists like anyone who calls themselves a male feminist and makes a point uh, rather than just being like yeah I'm a feminist right it's like why are you making such a point to like have this identity it seems like there might be an ulterior motive Mm -hmm. versus just being like yeah I believe in this because it's correct right (laughs) and speaking of male feminists Kevin gets really jealous when Brittany makes out with Robert and Kevin punches Robert, uh, who I just feel very, very bad for. But then Quinn gets jealous that there's a fight uh, amongst two men about another girl, but it's not her. So that's when she initiates the fight between the three, the three J's. And then Kevin the three goes J's a- and the two dates. Oh, she right. Didn't bring that's right. Any of the J's. So she's like, oh, wow, like they must really like Brittany if they're fighting over her. And so then they, the three J's go and pick a fight with the, her two dance dates. Right. And then Kevin gets, uh, goes away on a stretcher with a broken jaw. Though his jaw has, is broken, his relationship appears to be fixed. And uh, <sighs> yeah, you're welcome, everybody. And also speaking of genuine male feminists, we get a little Mr. O'Neill, Miss Barch moment, a.k.a. my favorite storyline of the entire series, yeah. uh, where you see him nervously practicing in the mirror throughout the episode of, like, how to ask Janet, a.k.a. Miss Barch, 
to dance. Mm -hmm. And then when he finally gets up the courage to do it at the dance itself, she's like, come on, let's dance skinny. And just like interrupts him and pulls him. And which I think he's clearly wants to be topped in this situation. So it seems very mutual. I think he has a lot of anxiety about being a top that he just can't accept the fact that he's a bottom. Like, I think if he just put forth all that effort into just accepting himself as the bottom, life would just be way easier for him. Right. Like if he knew he didn't even have to initiate asking her to dance, like just trusted that their dynamic was such that she would take control. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sick or Sadder World. We will be back in the same city soon. And um, so there's that. And um, until then, you can follow us on all the things. Patreon, we have patreon.com slash sickersadderworld. We have Twitter at sickersadder and our website is sickersadderworld.com. And uh, happy coming out day. Yeah, go go ahead. I would like to come out as a Slytherin, a really gay one. And I would like to come out as a vampire slayer. All right, well, I'm going to go eat some empanadas. All right, enjoy. I'm jealous. Okay, bye. Bye.